Good morning. morning. That's great. Glad you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you so much. I know sometimes it's hard to step into a new place. If you're joining us online, thank you. Did everybody get to Psalm 51? Everybody get there? Okay, now turn to Psalm 27. I made a mistake. I didn't correct the seat. So we're going to be in Psalm 27. But you hold Psalm 51 because we're going to do that in two weeks. Okay? So you can just be prepared. You can be ready. This is what happens when you don't update the preaching schedule. You make a change. You sow all kinds of confusion. So that's all on me. So I apologize for those of you who are having to go back through your Bible. So two years ago, I am on my annual eye checkup. And I think this is going to be in and out. We'll correct your little uh, prescription. That's the word I'm looking for. And I get in there, and the lady says, does this help? No. Does this help? No. Does this help? And she said, man, I'm just a tech, but I think you got a cataract. So I see the doctor. He said, yep, you got a cataract. You got to go see this other doctor. That's where I sent my parents. I thought, okay, okay, I'll go see the old boy. And he said, I'm going to be with you. Well, first he looks in my eye, and he's right, right eye, and he's talking, talking, talking to his scribe. Then he looks in my left eye, and he keeps talking, talking, talking. I think this is not good. And he said, you've got two cataracts. And uh, tell you what, we'll do a, two weeks apart. I'll be with you eight minutes. We'll numb that up, and we'll just take that old lens right out, and we'll put a new one right in. And I thought, you know, that's just a... That's a little unnerving to me. Oh, we do it all the time, he says. We do it all the time. It works great. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. You know, I just, this kind of thing. And, and so uh, the first surgery comes along, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, and he's with me. And sure enough, he goes, Andrew, got that lens out. We're going to put the new one in. That's probably a little bit more information than I wanted to know there, Doc, but okay. Um, so the next day, I'm in the office. They leave me patch, and they take the patch off. And, and I will never forget, looking back at the wall, it was yellow, and there's two different shades of yellow. And the doctor said, yeah, you're, you're getting more light back there. So now I'm two weeks out from my next surgery, but I'm not wigged about this one. Because I've seen the first one works. This works. You see, looking back on the doctor's past record in my life gave me confidence to trust him. I, I was good going to say, because I had seen this. He's trustworthy. And what's my point? We serve a faithful God. And my guess, many of you here have times where you look back and say, yeah, God's been faithful. He's shown himself to be trustworthy in my life. What I want to suggest to you is that that trustworthiness doesn't need to stand alone. That should be having an impact on your present and your future. And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you haven't turned there yet, if you'd open your Bible to Psalm 27, not 51, Psalm 27, We're going to go all the way through that uh, chapter and wrestle with this question. Why should we look back on God's faithfulness? Why should we look back on God's faithfulness? Now, as you've seen before in our graphic, we are in a a sermon series called Hope Again. We're going to be looking at Psalms mostly throughout the summer until we get to Labor Day. A couple exceptions in there. But my hope is that we will be people who live with hope. Because we're hopeful people. I think that gives us energy to live. If we're hopeful people, I think we're more likely to experience the abundant life I talked about in our prayer. So David, in Psalm 27, opens with a statement of confidence. This is what he said. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Now, like we talked about last week, Psalms are poetry. They express emotion. They express feeling. They're they're people dealing with God. And we're going to see some highs and we're going to see some lows in this and we're going to see 
some people expressing anger, some people frustration, some people rejoicing. One of the things about poetry is it allows you some ability to underscore things you might not be able to do with prose. And in here, there's three metaphors David uses to express his confidence. First, he says David's a, uh, God's a light. When you turn a light on, poof, darkness is gone. Next thing he says is that God's is my salvation. That would suggest that, that God is trustworthy in any situation. He can handle any situation. And the third is he's the um, defense of my life. That means he's a place of safety. He's a security. He's a stronghold. He's a go- place we can go to hide. If you weren't with us before we started this series in Psalms last week, we had spent the last 15 years in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. <laughs> no, it hadn't been that long. It had been nine months. Okay. Ha, ha, ha. So it had been eight or nine months. But in that series, uh, Israel wanted to king, so they got Saul. Saul wasn't good at listening to God, so God said, I'm moving on to David. And Saul was really paranoid, and he spent anywhere between 10 and 13 years, depending how he shakes out, chasing David. So David was writing out of experiences like this, or maybe reflecting on it. And, and let me say in the front, I don't know where David was in his experience when he wrote this, but, but here's one circumstance in David's life that I think reflects this psalm. It's in, in 1 Samuel 23, starting in verse 26. Remember, Saul has got the, all the, the uh, resources of the Israel's army, and he's chasing David down to kill him. So, so, so Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry, And come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they called that place the Rock of Escape. David went up there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. I mean, Saul is right at the point of capturing David, and there's a raid, the Philistines, and and Saul has to peel off. I mean, what what, what, what a coincidence, huh? What a coincidence. I would just say the sovereign God has multiple tools protect his people. Was David in the midst of experiencing? I don't know that. Was he reflecting on that? I don't know that. Is, is he reflecting afterward? But, but this is, these are the kind of experiences David had. And he had a lifetime of saying, God has been faithful. So I want to look back on that. And so that's what he does in verse 2. He says, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, My adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Now, poetry has some parallelism. Remember, there were three descriptions of God as his defense. Now he's going to give, in verse 2, three descriptions of his foes. Here's what they are. They're evildoers. They're adversaries and they're enemies. More parallelism. He he describes it with with two descriptions. What they came, they, they came upon me to devour my flesh. Two things happened to them. They stumbled and they fell. An English teacher, you've got to love this, don't you? This is just great. They've got an English lesson right here. But this is the beauty of poetry. You can underscore what God is doing. And David's saying, I'm looking back because it's given me the confidence for now. So he says in verse 3, 
though a host encamp against me. And that might have been when he's being chased around the mountain by Saul. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise up against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. David's confidence is overflowing because he's looked back. In verse 1, he said, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? Those are rhetorical questions. Nobody. Nobody. Because this God who showed himself faithful then is faithful now. So, So here's the conclusion David draws because God is faithful. That's going to affect, that's going to impact his priorities. Here's what he says priority is, verse 4. One thing he says, one thing. I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek. What is it, David? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Do I think that David's asking that he can spend the rest of his life in the temple? No, not necessarily. I think that's a metaphor for saying I want to be in God's presence. David's saying because of the character and nature of God, I can bring my life down to one priority. It would be that I was in His presence. So I'm wondering about my priorities and your priorities. If we were to sift them out, where does being in God's presence fall on your list of priorities? Where does it fall on my list of priorities? See, I think it's a particularly poignant question when we're being stressed out. Because that circumstance, can it? It can take our focus, right? We got that deadline, right? That becomes a thing. We got that relationship. We got this diagnosis. We got this job. We got this. We got this. We got this. And, and that becomes our priority, and our focus goes off God. They say, no, 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 no. I, I boil it down to one thing. Because the past has showed me that God is trustworthy in the present. So one more time, he says in verse 5, For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And again, we're we're using other descriptions of God's protection. Here it is, he can conceal me? Or he can lift me up to a place where people can't get me? As a little kid, I was scared of heights. So when we played tag in elementary school, this is back when they still had jungle gyms on the playground. When I was it, you know what the people would do? Go up to the top of the jungle gym. You're safe. I can't get you. David's saying God can do that. He can take you and me to a place where they can't get me. So then what's David's response? Verse 6, here's how he's going to respond. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And what will I do? I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I'm going to give thanks to God, and I'm going to do it in the company of God's people. Again, that speaks to the power of corporate worship. We come together. One of the reasons we come together and we sing these songs on Sunday mornings is to corporately give thanks to God. There's something in that experience. Individually, corporately, absolutely. Individually, yeah, absolutely. But corporately, We need to be together because, see, when I hear about you singing about God's faithfulness, it lifts me up. 
And when you see me giving thanks, I hope it lifts you up too. There's something about us coming together to give thanks and worship to God. Now, we've talked about the psalmist of nothing if he's not honest here. And he is on this, we're praising God, he's been faithful, all this stuff. And man, there's a change in this psalm. Have you felt that? Life's going good and all of a sudden, bang, you're in a desperate strait. Well, he has this shift. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. And be gracious to me and answer me. Whoa, 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 this was the guy who was just singing about God, is it? And one thing I ask, and the whole thing camped against me. And that's how we are as humans. We have moments where we're trusting God, and then bang, the bottom falls out. And he says, Hear me, listen to me. Imagine you're at home with your spouse, with your kid, with, I don't know. And they're in, they're in distress, and you make a 911 call, and the dispatcher saying, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. You can hear me. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Well, that's, uh, well, that's what David's saying, man. I, I need to know, God, that you can hear me, and I need you to be gracious with me. I need to, that supernatural empowering that I don't deserve. It's called unmerited favor, that you would strengthen me to carry on. So, we're part of a group. My wife and I, and these are people that have adult children that are out of the house. And so the men have gotten together on Fridays to play pickleball. Pickleball. And we are great at pickleball. Well, I get about two games in, and I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s. I'm kind of pooped. I'm pooped out. And I, I need an infusion of strength because my game is dwindling. I'm not moving as fast. I need some kind of strengthening there. Well, that's how it goes in life spiritually. We need the grace of God. What? Kind of like I'm running out of energy on the pickleball court to keep trusting God because, man, life wears on us. And David's saying, be gracious to me. Strengthen me in my inner person that I might keep trusting in you. When you said, I guess this is David's heart speaking for God, seek my heart, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. God, I've I'm, I'm been doing it, and I'm going to keep doing it. So verse 5 is a, or verse 9 is a playoff, verse 5. And, you know, in, in verse 5 it says, for in the day of trouble he will conceal me. Now, now David turns that word and says, uh, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. That's almost David saying, when I come up, don't, don't turn your back on me. Don't send me away. He said, you've been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. That second part is, is God walking away? David saying desperately, I need you. Lord, don't. Back out. And then David comes to the conclusion, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. And that's an argument from Lesser to greater. Kind of the thinking is, and I realize there's exceptions, but most parents would never forsake their kid. Never. Ever. So your closest human relationship, though that person might fail you, God will not. God is infinitely more trustworthy than your closest human relationship. He will not fail you. It's an argument from lesser to greater. So this psalm 
and particularly these verses came home to me in the fall of 1985. I'd started my first full year with Campus Crusade, um, and, and my folks were not happy about it, and my dad particularly let me know. And, and at one point he told me, now I'm in the middle of three brothers, my older brother's a, a doctor, and my younger brother designs software. He said, Andrew, when, when I tell people about my three sons, I said, I got a son who's a doctor, I got a son who's an engineer, that's me. I've got an engineering degree, but I'm not an engineer. I have a son who's an engineer, I got a son who designs software. He didn't want to own the fact that I was in campus ministry to his friends. And God brought me this verse, and he said, you know what? Man, I will take you up. I, I, I memorized this verse, this whole psalm in, in 1985. God will not fail. Even when our closest human relationships do fail, God will not. So again, David, with this assurance that God will never fail, cries out, teach me your way, O God, and lead me in a level path. Because of my foes. The first part of that teach me your way is almost instruction. This is how you act. And, and we need to know how to act in the presence of foes. And so ultimately Jesus is our model of that. Uh, and lead me in a level path. That is God coming alongside of him. Well, well, David, why are you praying this? Well, second part of verse 11, because of my foes. David goes on to say, do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen up against me. And as such, breathe out violence. False witnesses. The idea is that adversaries are paying people to perjure against David. That's how bad it is. So, Lord, I really need you to instruct me how to live in this. I need you to walk alongside and show me how to do it. Why? These pre people breathe out violence. Remember when I go into, when I was in college, I'd go to some of these dorm parties. Some guys were so drunk. I mean, you could smell the alcohol off their breath. Well, they're not breathing out alcohol. They're, these guys are breathing out violence. It is so infiltrated their life. That, that's who they are. And David said, man, I need you to show me, Lord, how to live in this. So having wrestled with God, and, and we do wrestle with God, and we wonder, are you there? And, and, and sometimes we're believing, and sometimes we're not. And David's showing us that battle that goes on in our soul. David comes again to a point of confidence in verses 13 and 14. says this in verse 13, I would have despaired unless I believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David's saying, I, I believe God's going to show up big time now. Yeah, I've got an eternity, but now God's going to show up. And this is kind of with the general principle that God rewards his people, particularly the Old Testament, Old Testament principle, with a long life. Now, there were exceptions, but David said, I, I feel like I'm going to tap into that goodness of God. And then verse 14, he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. The Spirit of God is moving in David. And he's speaking over the course of thousands of years. So here's what he has to say to you and to me, okay? Based on his experience of God, here's what he wants to say to us. What he wants to say, he says, wait for the Lord. I want you to be strong. And I want you to let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That's a word for all times, wait for the Lord. But I think it's never more relevant than right now in our culture at this time. Because we don't want to wait. We're an instant culture, aren't we? Man, you eat fast food and I have to wait. Come on, come on. What's the deal? We want it and we want it now. God says, I want you to get used to waiting on me 
Because I can show myself faithful. But you know what happens in that waiting? We're broken of all our abilities and all our capacities. I got nothing. You got nothing as we wait on the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's right. That's right. We got nothing. We're going to have to rest in his faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to rest in his faithfulness. Put another way, we're to be strong. Why? Because God's there. We're going to let our heart take courage. See, David is putting forth this relationship between present and past and future. There's this progression. In the present, I look back at what God's done, and I say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's faithful. So that gives me confidence in the now and even the future that I can trust him. So it's not a waste of time to look back on God's faithfulness. Why? Should we look back on God's faithfulness? Here we go. Looking back on God's faithfulness strengthens our confidence to trust him for our present and our future. Looking back on God's faithfulness strengthens our confidence to trust him for our present and our future. If I could reword that, I might say looking back on God's faithfulness strengthens our confidence to wait on him. You know why we can talk about this? Past, present, future. Because of Jesus. See, there, there was a gap between us and God, and it was on us. We broke relationship with God. We rebelled against him. We went our own way, did our own thing. By design, Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose again for the forgiveness of our sin. But you need to know when Jesus came to earth, he knew. Remember David talked about the evildoers? He knew they were coming on him. They encamped. They were watching him for three years of public ministry. They were watching him. And finally, they got him because Jesus surrendered his life. Remember in verse 10, David said, Though my father and father forsaken me, the Lord will take me up. You got to know on the cross, the father turned his back on Jesus. It says, He who knew no sin became sin in our place. God couldn't look on sin. And because of Jesus, we can talk about applying these truths to our life. He was forsaken for you and for me that we could live this kind of confidence with God. The past isn't just the past. It is a reminder that God is immutable. He doesn't change, and he's trustworthy for the now and the future. You know, if you ever see an advertisement for an investment firm, they'll give you a, a list of their, their, their funds, and they'll tell, say the, the rate of return on the five-year was this, and the rate of return on the 10-year was that, and, and it's all good. But then you know what they'll do on that, those rate of returns? They'll put a little asterisk, a little, 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 little asterisk. And then down below, you know what the asterisk says? Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. In other words, really, what happened in the past doesn't guarantee jack. That's just the opposite of God. Past performance guarantees everything. He's immutable. He doesn't change. Now, these psalms were written to give us good information. They were, give us, they were written that we might reflect on them and apply them in our lives. So in the time we have, I want to take a couple minutes and do that. So we're going to walk through this briefly. And I want you to reflect. So verse 2, 
David says, when I consider the past, my, my adversaries, they came to devour my flesh, blah, 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 blah. When has God been faithful in your life? When has God been faithful in your life? Can I ask you to think about that now? 30 seconds to a minute. When has God been faithful in your life? See, I'm not asking you to do that just because. I'm asking you to do that because according to David, God's past faithfulness is a reason for confidence today and in the future. Remember, he says, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? The Lord is a light, a salvation, a defense. He can conceal me. I... Would you ask in the next 30 to 45 seconds the Lord to take that past faithfulness in your life and use it today that you trust him to be faithful right now and in your future. Don't let that stand alone. God, would you take that faithfulness and would you build my trust in you? Would you make that prayer with him for just a minute? I'm not asking you to do this just because it seems like a good exercise. David did it, and it affected his priorities. It affected what mattered to him. It affected what got his time and his money and his attention and conversations. David said, one thing I've asked, verse 4, from the Lord that I shall seek. That I may dwell in his house all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty. Would you take 30 to 45 seconds to ask God that his past faithfulness and this trust would affect your priorities? Because, see, when we get in a bad way, we focus on, at least I do, we focus on the circumstance instead of God. Would you ask God that your priorities would be shaken as you reflect on his past goodness and your present confidence in him?
And we need to know that our, you know, as we grow in our trust and we continue making God becomes a bigger priority and we look back on his past faithfulness and we grow our confidence in him, that doesn't mean we don't cry out to him. David did in verse 7. He said, listen to me. Be gracious to me. I'm curious, you got stuff going on in your life? I, I do in mine. Stuff that makes you, how's this going how's, how's to play out? How, how, how? You got stuff going on? I'm guessing you do. If you don't, be of good cheer, you will in a few days. Aren't you glad you came to church? Isn't that encouraging? Would you take a minute and just cry out to God with the stuff that's going on in your life? Right now? He wants to know. Ask him, Lord, would you hear me on this? Would you be gracious in these, in this, in these circumstances? Last thing, verse 14. God says, wait for the Lord. Let your heart be strong. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's un-American, to wait. Would you ask God, in the midst of your stuff that you just prayed for, right? Remember, you just prayed for that? Would you ask him for the power to wait? How long? Until, until he's ready to move that your faith would play out and that you're willing to wait. As a kid, I grew up in the Detroit area, and we played a lot of street hockey and loved to play. And I wanted to play real hockey, but my dad said, you go learn to skate, and I'll sign you up. Well, I never got good enough to skate, not even close. So that's why when the Olympics come around, I guess I'm always kind of amazed at the skaters, what they can do. And one of the things they do are the, are the pairs, a guy, man and a woman, and, th and that man will throw that woman up in the air, and she will do all kinds, she'll pike and she'll flip and she'll do all kinds of stuff and come down and catch her. And, and I, I just think, how does she not worry about being dropped by the guy? Well, my guess is they've done that tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of times and he's never dropped her. And you know, if she's worried about, is the old boy going to catch me? I don't think she's going to be as effective up there doing whatever she's doing. I'm guessing that confidence comes from past practice, past events. How much more?
with the living God. Why should we look back on God's faithfulness? Looking back on his faithfulness gives us the strength to trust him for our present and our future.